Welcome to A Reason for Hope, your question connection with the entire Word of God. We'd love for you to join the conversation. Simply follow us on our Facebook page at Calvary Christian Fellowship. If you have a question, please text or email us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. And on today's episode, we have a special guest. Let's tune in. Well, a very good afternoon, morning, or evening to you, wherever you may be. Welcome to another edition of A Reason for Hope. As you can see, I'm Scott Richards, joined here by Dave Robson. Again, boy, they are dropping like flies around here as far as our staff people uh, no, Not us, though. We're here again. We, uh, Standing strong. We're, we're happy to be here, even more happy that we are uh, vertical these yeah. days. <laughs> Indeed. But uh, really appreciated you filling in yesterday, Dave, and uh, so glad to have you back again today. It's just so much fun. Uh, going through the Bible, one question of the heart at a time. And that's obviously where you come in. Uh, we would love to hear from you on any of our internet platforms uh, with any question you have about the Bible, what the Bible has to say about current events. Uh, maybe a look ahead uh, through biblical prophecy. We got a bit of a prophecy update we're going to get to in just a couple of minutes. Hear about things going on in Israel. Maybe uh, you've been asked a tough question about the Bible, or maybe you've always had a tough question about the Bible, but you've never found a non judgmental, no harm, no foul place to get those questions answered. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we like to think we provide for you each and every day. So uh, looking forward to hearing from you. Dave, uh, how can uh, people get those questions to us? Well, you can email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com, questionsforhope at gmail.com, or whichever platform you're joining us on, they will have, you know, a chat corner, comment corner. So on uh, Facebook, it is uh, facebook.com slash Tucson. On our website, if you go to our website, which is calvarychristianfellowship.com, follow the tab there for watch live. And there's also a chat corner on there. And then on YouTube, A Reason for Hope. If you search for A Reason for Hope, that's where we're coming through live there. So any of those platforms, you can send your questions through and we'll be keeping our eyes on those and hope to get to uh, some, if not all of your questions. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Well, why don't we open up uh, with a word of prayer before we go any farther. Lord, thank you so much that we have this opportunity today to explore your word. We pray that you would guide and direct us, Lord, that your sovereign hand would lead us into precisely those questions you would have us to answer and the issues we would uh, need to discuss. But even more importantly, you promise that your word never returns void. It always accomplishes Mm -hmm. what you send it out to do. So we're looking forward to seeing you send your word forth all over the world, literally, and uh, seeing it change lives. Thank you for this time that we have in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, as uh, we mentioned yesterday, we at least put it up on uh, some of our platforms, we were going to get to a bit of a prophecy update, some pretty major news coming out of Israel, and uh, we wanted to uh, make sure that we get to it uh, and let you know what's going on there uh, because of the (laughs) crisis mode (laughs) that we were in. Uh, We weren't able to get to it yesterday, but uh, if you have been uh, following along with uh, the incidents going on, in Israel right now, you know that there was a uh, fairly major political earthquake that took place a couple days ago. Uh, the uh, Israeli government uh, has decided to call for new elections. Uh, they uh, made a move for what's called the dissolution of the Knesset. And uh, to understand exactly what's going on with all of that, uh, you really have to understand a little bit about uh Israeli parliamentary politics. Dave, you coming from uh, Great Britain, probably familiar with how uh, parliamentary politics works. Uh, it's not like uh, our elections where you've just got two parties, is it? No. 
No, no, it's not. Yeah, you've got you've got a, a you know a huge amount. Uh, you've got a usually slew. usually two fairly major parties, right? right? Yeah, and uh, these two major parties sort of have to cobble together a coalition uh, by uh, winning favor with smaller parties yeah. who are made up of uh, smaller numbers of representatives. And if you can get to a magic number, like in the Israeli Knesset. It's, uh, there are 120 seats. So if you can have 61 members of the Knesset support you and your particular coalition, then you can be the prime minister. That's what the term prime minister means. You lead that ruling coalition. Well, that has uh, been something that's been easier said than done uh, in Israel. Uh, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, successfully held on to that position for uh, over two decades, which was no uh, small uh, accomplishment. But as you can imagine, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, if you know anything about him, uh, wasn't uh, one who would be really reticent about saying what he thought, uh, stepping on some toes. Um, you know, they, they say that uh, politics is kind of like watching how the sausage gets made. You really don't want to know a whole lot about <laughs> what really happens in all of that. And, and so, you know, over the years, uh, amassing enough people that were uh, antagonistic towards him, really personally, uh, a coalition was put together that can really be described as anyone but Netanyahu. And uh, it was really put together with that purpose in mind. Naftali Bennett, who was a former protege and ally of Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, got together uh, with a uh, gentleman by the name of Yair Lapid, who uh, sort of, in a sense, almost like the Oprah of mm. Israel, and really made his name by being a talk show host and then a writer, and, and then he got into politics. And uh, uh, Yair Lapid's smaller coalition uh, and uh, Naftali Bennett, who had a smaller coalition, were able to cobble together uh, just this really bizarre cross-section of parties, including one of them that, believe it or not, uh, included uh, the, uh, the smallest uh, coalition in Israel. It was a, a group of Arab Israelis who were very fond of Hamas, believe it or not, the terrorist organization. Mm. And uh, But because they're Israeli citizens and Israel's a democracy, they had their representation there. So they put together this coalition and uh, and attempted to rule. Well, uh, lo and behold, we've, we've shared with you before that this coalition was kind of put together with, uh, as they say, um, uh, chewing gum and bailing wire. And it started to fray when uh, some uh, real interesting political maneuvering took place uh, just about a week or so ago. A bill came before the Knesset uh, that would uh, uh, reiterate the fact that uh, the uh, so-called uh, uh, West Bank territories, uh, what are referred to as Judea and Samaria in Israel, uh, would still be governed, and the people who lived there, you've heard of Israeli settlements, uh, but you know, again, they're uh, people talk about them being in dispute, but that the people who lived there would be governed under Israeli law, that it was almost like a formality. And um, every uh, five years or so, uh, this particular bill would automatically renew unless someone in the parliament brought the bill up for a vote. Well, someone brought the bill up for a vote. Uh, and uh, in order for the people that live in a pretty good chunk of Israel to continue to, to, continue to be governed by Israeli law, uh, this bill would have had to been passed. Well, um, as we say, watching how the sausage gets made, 
uh, virtually everybody who didn't like the current government got together and said, we're going to vote against this. We're going to vote that the rights of Jewish settlers in Judea and Samaria will no longer be under Israeli law, which is just enough. You know, you talk about uh, swatting a fly with a, with a hand grenade or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, a really radical position. Well, when it became apparent that there were not enough votes to pass this particular law, uh, Naftali Bennett realized that if under his watch a huge swath uh, at least a quarter million Jewish voters would have their rights to due process, their rights to receive social security benefits, their rights to police protection, taken away if this thing doesn't pass. Well, Naftali Bennett and Yero Lapid realized that if they were going to have any future whatsoever in Israeli politics, uh, they had to do something before this got voted out under their watch. Mm. And so what they did was they decided to dissolve the parliament. And what that did was it took the possibility of voting for that off the table. Mm -hmm. uh, this bill would not go through. And so another five years of protection for this, these Israeli citizens mm -hmm. would automatically you know, be reinstated. Uh, so uh, that, uh, that required uh, Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid to uh, basically resign. Uh, to say that uh, they were not going to uh, uh, go forward and rule Israel anymore. Naftali Bennett was the guy who was serving as Prime Minister of Israel, uh, and, and it obviously uh, raises some questions. There's going to be a new set of elections at a, at a maximum uh, in October of this year to determine who's going to be the new Prime Minister. Now, if, say, someone like Benjamin Netanyahu uh, can put together a coalition of people faster than that, then, you know, they will call for these elections and, and uh, a mm. new government will be formed. But most people believe that that is going to have to uh, be kicked uh, down the, uh, the uh, driveway, if you will, mm. till October. So uh, interesting development. Wow. Uh, who then is going to be prime minister of Israel in the interim if uh, Naftali Bennett resigned? Well, uh, the deal that Naftali Bennett had with Yair Lapid was that they would share the prime ministership. They would alternate years of being the prime minister. So Yair Lapid is going to be the caretaker, if you will, prime minister in uh, the months between now and October at, uh, the, at the very uh, later. Uh, Yair Lapid, uh, more uh, on the left side of Israeli politics than, say, Naftali Bennett or certainly Benjamin Netanyahu, favors um, a two-state solution with the Palestinians. He uh, pushes mm. for that. Um, he uh, does support uh, the uh, continued development of Jewish settlements in, say, the West Bank and, and, and so on. Uh, so, you know, he's sort of a mixed bag about all of that. Very charismatic, very, you know, photogenic kind mm. of a guy. Uh, but uh, not really in uh, the mainstream as far as uh, Jewish politics are concerned. But he's going to be uh, sort of riding herd on Israel till then. Now, this brings up some other really relevant questions. Uh, you you want to talk about uh, arguably the worst time in the world for something like this to happen. 
mm-hmm. uh, because uh, you know again Dave you know having lived in uh, Great Britain and you know with all of the squabbling that does go on in Parliament mm-hmm. about who's going to be running uh, things and so forth at least in uh, Great Britain you have the idea that the the royal family the Queen is running things while all the politicians squabble <laughs> supposedly you know, yeah. supposedly <laughs> yeah, but uh, there's a little bit of stability there's no Queen in right. Israel yeah you know and and so the idea that, uh, you know, again, Yair Lapid is going to be running the show, but, you know, they had a very small coalition uh, in um, Israeli politics. Uh, you know, is this going to embolden the enemies of Israel to take advantage of this kind of instability? That You know, the question comes up. Mm. Uh, so, you know, uh, if you've been with us on our program for any length of time, you know, we talk quite a bit about the prophetic nature of uh, the future uh, conflict between a Russian-led coalition uh, that will feature Iran as one of the main players that is going to invade Israel in the last days and in the end times. Now, full disclosure, we believe uh, that, uh, that well, at least I believe, nobody around here has said, oh, I think you're completely wrong, so I'm assuming I'm not going to use the royal we there. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, our, our conclusion is, is that this... Uh, uh, Invasion of Israel by Russia and Iran and these other individuals that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39 isn't going to take place until the tribulation period and is probably going to be that uh, invasion that takes peace from the world. The reason we believe that is that uh, when the Antichrist comes to power, passages like Isaiah chapter 28, uh, we are told that Israel is going to make a covenant with death at one point. Daniel chapter 9 talks about the Antichrist making a strong covenant with many nations that will allow Israel to rebuild its temple on its historic site. So, uh, and uh, interestingly, in Ezekiel 38, we are told that this invasion is going to take place when Israel's guard is down. That's what's going to motivate them. They're going to say, look, Mm. uh, you know, they're defenseless. They're a land of unwalled villages and so on. Well, you can say an awful lot of things about Israel these days, but you can't say they're defenseless at this point. So we really believe that the false peace of the Antichrist is going to usher in uh, that defenseless state, like who is like the beast and who's able to make war with them? Why would anybody uh, bring war to this world when you've got the Antichrist running the show? Uh, well, this Gog and Magog invasion is going to be this double cross. And, you know, if you've got more questions about that, we can obviously tackle them as the program unfolds. But uh, having said that, we do see uh, in these days the main players in these conflicts uh, starting to come on the stage, especially mm. involving Iran. Uh, you know, prior to uh, the fall of the uh, Shah of Iran back in the late 70s, uh, Iran was one of Israel's staunchest allies in the region. In fact, uh, historically, Iran has never had cordial relationships with Russia whatsoever. Uh, They never got along. I mean, the only time any Russian leader ever went to uh, Iran or anything relating to it was when Joseph Stalin went to uh, Yalta for that uh, conference at the end of World War II. That really didn't have anything to do uh, with Persia. It was just where they decided to meet. Hmm. So, uh, you know, you've got uh, Iran, you've got Russia, uh, and you've got Israel. And uh, the Bible does tell us that uh, there is a future conflict that's brewing there. Well, what does this change of government and what's happening there now uh, have to shed light on things along this line? Well, some interesting things here. Uh, You're probably familiar, if you follow us on this program, with our comments on what's called uh, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. 
Uh, this was uh, a uh, Iranian peace deal, nuclear deal, that was put together by the Obama administration. John Kerry, the Secretary of State at that time, uh, championed it. And uh, Israel was vehemently opposed to this idea of uh, coming up with a, uh, a treaty with Iran regarding their development of a nuclear weapon. Why? Because among other fatal flaws in that agreement uh, was the fact that it would only uh, restrict Iran from developing a nuclear bomb through like 2028, and then they could do whatever they wanted. Mm. Israel's like, <laughs> you know, that's not going to do us a whole lot of good. Uh, these uh, people are playing the long game anyway. Mm. So Naftali Bennett, uh, the prime minister of Israel, you know, to his credit, uh, when he came into power, uh, got into a conference with our current administration, the Biden administration, and uh, really pushed them uh, on one detail that was being negotiated with the idea of bringing this uh, joint comprehensive plan of action back. Uh, and that was that the Iranian Republican Guard Corps had been listed by our State Department on our list of foreign terrorist organizations, or FTOs. Uh, Iran demanded that the Iranian Republican Guard Corps, which was their elite of elite, their Green Berets of Green Berets, be removed from all that, although they're busy sponsoring terrorist acts and doing horrible things all over the world all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Naftali Bennett pushed our administration to say, no, don't take them off your list. Continue having them on the list continue having them financially sanctioned. And uh, to their credit, uh, the Biden administration listened and refused to alter this agreement, taking the Iranian Republican Guard Corps off the list. Well, this really, for the Iranians, was like a poison pill for the whole thing. Hmm. Uh, if uh, they weren't, the United States wasn't willing to do that, uh, the Iranians weren't interested in negotiating anymore whatsoever. Mm. Now, you know, the, the question always comes up, well, wait a minute, I thought, you know, we were putting all this pressure on Iran, I thought their, their economy was, was teetering on the edge of uh, collapse, and so on. Uh, wouldn't they want to play ball with us, and why would they, you know, draw a line in the sand about all this? Well, A, their culture is based on... Uh, Pride. It's based on not losing face, mm. um, conceding to the infidel and all this other stuff mm. would be a great way to lose power if uh, you were running the government in Iran. Uh, but uh, along with that, really interesting developments happening with Russia in all of this that's affecting Iran's behavior in all of this. You may have uh, remembered we've talked quite a bit about how uh, even the International Atomic Energy Agency has uh, pretty much uh, condemned Iran uh, for their lack of cooperation, uh, more than just lack of cooperation. Iran has actively been shutting down monitoring cameras and monitoring devices that were placed by the International Atomic Energy Agency uh, to monitor whether they were upgrading the uranium, say they had, to uh, nuclear weapons-capable stuff. Mm. And they've just gone in and, and turned all that off. Mm. The IAEA has said that's uh, absolutely unacceptable. And, uh, you know, if you don't shape up, we're going to even make the sanctions on you even tougher. Well, Iran doesn't seem to be budging about all of this. And, and there's some interesting things happening that can give us some insight into all of this and really tie it back into uh, the uh, prophetic scenario in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, Russia's war with Ukraine, uh, if you've been keeping 
uh, score at home. Hasn't really made Russia a real popular player mm. as far as the West is concerned. Uh, you know, the, the, there have been uh, sanctions that have been placed uh, on Russia. Uh, you know, trade has been restricted in a number of different areas uh, with Russia. And uh, Russia doesn't seem to be all that nervous about this, just like Iran doesn't seem to be all this nervous about uh, sanctions with us, for a very interesting reason. Uh, one of the uh, real powerful weapons that uh, the international community can use to rein in what we would call pariah states, uh, rogue nations that get out of control, is the uh, system of electronic banking that we have in this world. It's called the SWIFT System. It's called the Society for Worldwide uh, Interbank Financial Telecommunications, or SWIFT. What it is, in essence, without getting too wonky and out into the bushes about it all, is it's almost like Gmail for banks. Hmm. Uh, it is their own individualized system. It is hyper-encrypted, hyper-secure, uh, and banks do all of their uh, transactions, their EFTs, electronic funds, transfers, and so forth through this SWIFT system. Now, the SWIFT system has been the gold standard, if you will, for the entire world. And if you really wanted to hit somebody with a sanction that would devastate them, ban them from the SWIFT system. Mm. Don't let them use the SWIFT system for their international banking. They did that to Iran back in 2012. And that one action uh, cost 30% of Iran's foreign trade to vanish overnight. Wow. So, I mean, it really is, it's like a nuclear weapon economically. Yeah. And there has been talk about using a uh, banning from the SWIFT system as a way of punishing Russia for its invasion of the Ukraine. Mm. Uh, Iran is already on the outs with the SWIFT system, but this would put the Russians in the same boat. Well, if you don't, uh, you get the impression the Russians don't seem too worried about that, there's a reason for it. Another individual, uh, another nation that I believe is mentioned in biblical prophecy is one of the uh, players in the Battle of Armageddon in the last days, China, uh, has come up with an alternative to the SWIFT system. It's called the Cross-Border Interbank Payment System. And uh, what it purports to do is to provide not only a alternative for sending electronic funds transfers between international entities, but it also, uh, in a sense, uh, greases the skids for removing or weakening the influence of the U.S. dollar on the world economy. Mm. In other words, uh, the, the Russians can say, well, uh, and, and the Chinese, if you say, uh, the Chinese say, well, come on over and use our system over here, we'll take good care of you. Saying to Iran, well, come on over. You don't have to worry about SWIFT anymore. Mm -hmm. You can use our system. Uh, by the way, um, 80 financial institutions globally are now on the cross-border interbank uh, payment system. Mm -hmm. And uh, 23 Russian banks have joined over the last month. Mm -hmm. So it does appear that it's moving in this direction. And, and where this you know, kind of comes down to, well, what does this have to do with the price of tea in China? Well, quite a bit. Uh, prophetically, uh, notice something. China, Russia, and Iran are buddying up together and are actually being pushed, in a sense, into this alternate economic arrangement. Uh, you know, it's fascinating to me that uh, when the last day's invasion 
of Israel is described in Ezekiel 38 and 39. The Russian leader is described as having hooks in his jaws, mm. being pulled into a situation. He really doesn't want to go there, but he doesn't feel like he's got any choice. And they go there to, uh, you know, the interesting thing is they're accused of going to Israel to take plunder. You know, you look at Israel now and, well, you know, they grow a lot of fruit, and, you know, a tourist mecca, I guess, you know, but plunder, really? Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess they've got their own Silicon Valley or something, but, you know, why would you invade Israel? Well, that question was always a live one until Israel uh, discovered right off their shores in the Mediterranean these huge tracks of natural gas. You have two huge tracks. One's called Leviathan, and the other's called Tamar, of all things. Mm. And uh, they are setting up all the infrastructure to uh, go online and be able to supply uh, not only Israel, but Europe. Apparently, these natural gas tracks are so huge, they can supply Europe's needs for natural gas and Israel's needs for natural gas uh, for like 250 years. Wow. Huge. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if that happens, then suddenly Israel, as far as the natural gas business goes, becomes like the Saudi Arabia mm. of that, that era and that, that, that economic thing. Well, what keeps Russia's economy afloat? It's natural gas. Mm. It's uh, exporting petroleum and natural gas to Europe. If suddenly uh, Russia has this rival in Israel coming online, uh, it's not good for them. And uh, we see Russia, uh, I guess to put, bring it all back together, we see Russia being pushed away from any kind of uh, rapprochement, if you want to use that word, with the West. Uh, they're being pushed more into this isolated uh, economic system uh, that is uh, dominated by pariah states, if you will, China not really being very nice guys themselves either. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we see this thing beginning to happen. It, it could very well be another step towards the weakening of the U.S. dollar and the globalization of the world economy, which we know from prophecy is going to happen sooner or later. Mm. Uh, so bringing this all back to Israel, uh, what does this mean about Israel's uh, government uh, passing away uh, elections in October? Well, here's the bottom line. Uh, according to all the polls that are being run, I'm reading the Jerusalem Post today, five different polls were taken through Jewish media outlets, uh, and they all came to the, the same conclusion, that the October election is going to result in another stalemate, uh, the highest level of uh, representatives. Any coalition could hope to put together, even Benjamin Netanyahu, ranged from 58 to 60 seats. Uh, you need 61 to form a government. Mm. If you have a coalition with just 61 seats, it's very difficult to get much of anything done because that person who cast the 61st first vote, in a sense, is the most powerful person in Israel. And you've got all these different special interests. And, you know, two people deciding to pull out of your coalition, your government fails again. So it does appear that we are looking at a uh, long-term sense of instability mm. in the government in Israel. Uh, we also see that our president, uh, Joe Biden, is going to be visiting Israel in July. By the way, this visit has been postponed twice at this point, mm. but they really don't feel face-saving-wise and so on uh, that they can put this off for, uh, for any longer. He's going to be there in July. Uh, interesting, people say, well, you know, is he going to go over there and stir the pot and, you know, get things, um, you know, in a mess? 
the, the biggest concern that some people have is that uh, following the lead of the Biden administration, which uh, I would say the Obama administration, which Biden was a part of, uh, they may go over there and offer a, a major symbolic gesture to the Palestinians, like, say, setting up a Palestinian consulate in East Jerusalem mm-hmm. uh, for the United States. Uh, that, that would not be a very popular move among uh, the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the main reason that Joe Biden is going over there, if you've been driving the mean streets of Tucson here, uh, wherever you may be watching, uh, your mileage may vary. But uh, we uh, came within a cent of breaking $5 a gallon for gasoline here, which is really unusual for us. I mean, uh, California, I understand. I saw one uh, 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 picture on the Internet today where, uh, honest to goodness, somebody needed to tell these people uh, some of the basics of marketing. But there was one gas station in Los Angeles that was selling gas for six dollars and sixty-six cents a gallon. So, <laughs> Sounds about like, right. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's almost uh, not funny. But uh, but what his main purpose in going over there is uh, supposedly to meet uh, with the Saudis, whether he's going to meet uh, with uh, the uh, royal prince who's running Saudi Arabia or not. Uh, we really don't know. Uh, they have a very uh, distant relationship. Uh, The Saudis don't really like uh, the Biden administration because uh, they've made some comments about their human rights track record, including the murder of a Saudi uh, uh, investigative reporter. Uh, So whether he actually gets to meet with uh, the uh, crown prince over there or not is another story. But a couple main reasons for going over there. First of all, uh, it's always good for a president to go to the Middle East. It's it's just always a, uh, a big boost to your popularity. And if you've been mm. following along with the popularity of this administration, they are looking for anything to change the subject from inflation and the price of gas and, and so on. So uh, that, that would make a lot of sense for them going over there. That's one of the reasons they want to go. Uh, you know, the, uh, the second reason is to, uh, again, talk to the nations that made up what are called the Abraham Accords about uh, what's going on with Iran and what their response is going to be if Iran does, in fact, go nuclear. We've mentioned before that there are numerous verified reports that Iran has reached 90% enrichment on their uranium, which is enough of a purity of uranium to be able to build a bomb. Mm. Uh, So if Iran, in fact, goes nuclear, they have the ballistic missile technology to be able to deliver nuclear weapons. Uh, You think Israel's nervous about that. Any of the Sunni Muslim nations like Saudi Arabia, like uh, the United Arab Emirates, uh, you know, again, uh, you name it, all those Gulf states are really worried about Iran because they are Shiite Muslims. And the only ones the Shiites hate worse than the Jews is the Sunnis. Mm. So, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about watching Israel and whether we're going to see war in that region take place. The instability of the government as it sits right now may be pushing that a little bit down the line. Mm -hmm. It would be very difficult, I think, to uh, go into an all-out war in that region, which you would have to do to take out Iran's nuclear facilities, uh, with a caretaker prime minister like uh, Yair Lapid running the show. But you never know. Mm -hmm. You know, again, it could be a feint. It could be a dodge. Could be saying to the Iranians, oh, you don't have to worry about us. We've got all these domestic problems at home. But we have pointed out to you all, there have been at least three major dress rehearsals Mm -hmm. that the Israeli Air Force 
has gone through uh, in terms of what they would need to do to go in and destroy Iran's nuclear uh, development capabilities, including the last one that happened, I guess, off the island of Cyprus that involved the direct participation of U.S. forces in that particular endeavor. So um, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, mm -hmm. but uh, understand the, the uh, following this government, uh, it could forestall that kind of conflict in the Middle East. Who knows the way uh, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the fainting and the, uh, the, uh, the deceptiveness that uh, often goes on with the art of war is concerned. It may be saying the Iranians, okay, you can let down your guard a little bit and then wham, we're gonna go after you. And if uh, Israel does go after Iran, you better believe that they are going to go after Israel with all their proxies, again, like Hamas uh, and uh, Hezbollah and Lebanon. Uh, that are very well stocked with missiles. Uh, Iran has a huge presence in Syria and is backed by Russians there, so mm -hmm. the Russians could end up getting involved as well. So definitely a war and a rumor of war we're dealing with here. Right, yeah. So <laughs> I don't know if that was uh, too much uh, of... Uh, you know, uh, inside baseball for you out there. But if you have further questions about that, we like to keep you up to speed about what's going yeah. on in that neck of the woods. Anything you, you'd ask? I mean, I know for me, it seems things are moving quicker than I expected to see in my lifetime. Would you agree with that? I mean, I remember oh, the goodness, end time yeah. things, and I, I thought, thought of my kids and their kids, but it's with these things we're seeing happening in the world, it's like, wow, these things are moving quickly, and it's thank you for sharing that because it's great to be aware. Well, you know, I've kind of gotten, I've, I've seen the pendulum swing in my life. You know, I remember it was like 1974, first Christian book I ever read, apart from the Bible, was Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Planet Earth on oh, Biblical wow. Prophecy. And I remember reading that in 1974. I graduated from high school in 1976, and in 74 reading that, I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to graduate from high school before the Lord comes back, right. because so much of it seemed to be coming together. Well, you know, people would say, oh, yeah, you know, uh, you know, prophecy hysteria and, and all this stuff. And some people obviously... Uh, overplayed their hands and said, oh, yeah, you know, Israel became a nation in 48, and a biblical generation is 40 years, and so seven years minus uh, plus uh, that is, you know, they, Jesus has to come back in 1988. Now, nobody knows the day or the hour. Right. Uh, we don't know when the Lord's going to come back. He could come back in 200 years, for all we know. But the Bible also says that we should be watching the signs of the times, mm -hmm. and I, I remember there were times where I would look at things, and I was like, Wow. Man, I remember the Gulf War when that took place, when people were going, oh, we're bombing Babylon right now. Wow. Yeah. You know, I, I can't tell you how many lunches I had with even very secular people that I knew saying, what does the Bible say about all of this? And a lot of books got sold, and it wasn't the end of the world. And I tried to say, this isn't the Battle of Armageddon. It doesn't fit. Uh, it's a war and a rumor of war, but, it, yeah. you know, it, there, there's a whole lot of other things that have to happen first. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was kind of calming people down then, saying, yeah, I, I don't think so. Uh, we got a lot of time. You know, the, the funny thing is Jesus called all of these prophetic uh, incidents birth pains. Things, yeah. and, and we are uh, good about reminding you all, what we try to be, that one of the things uh, about birth pains is that they build up in intensity mm -hmm. and in frequency as the big event draws near. They build up to a fever pitch, and then they go away for a little while. You know, it's interesting, earlier in this year, I think Sean and I were talking about it on the program, but I was like, you know, I think we're in one of those lulls right now. Things mm. seem to be sort of uh, uh, peaceful, and then, yeah. you know, well, there you go. You jinxed it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a thing. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah. I, guess, I guess just to, to comment on your comment, um, yeah, there have been times where I thought, man, 
get on the roof. Right. This, looks, <laughs> this looking really, really close. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, uh, I think we got a lot of time left. But Jesus' advice to us is pretty plain. He says, when you see these things begin to happen, uh, don't uh, run in circles, scream and shout. Mm. Um, look up for your salvation draws near. I mean, whether the Lord comes back in 20 minutes or 200 years, doesn't matter because sooner or later we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. Yeah. And, and God's advice to us is live like that. But Jesus yeah. does reserve the right to snatch his people out before the storm at the event we call the rapture. Yeah. It could happen in a moment, could happen before we even finish this broadcast for all we know. So you just, yeah. you got, God's <laughs> advice is be ready. That's right, you know, yeah. You know. Yeah, and even, I mean, in biblical times, you, you hear that, you know, the Lord is at hand, you know, the times are near. Sure. It, it, it really seems God would want us to live um, every day watching for that and ready for that. And as if, you know, there's something... There's an urgency that comes to us when we think we have limited time, and I think that um, we kind of need that in a sense as humans to yeah. to have that every day. Like this is, you know, I'm not going to stick around. You share that analogy about you know, the demons saying, "Oh, just tell them there's no hurry." Yeah, you know yeah. that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, just yeah. you've got plenty of time. Just yeah, get right with the Lord, serve the Lord later. Just you know, put it off. That's certainly not a um, biblical attitude that we should have. So, yeah. thanks for sharing all those all those things. Yeah. Great to know how to pray. Um, we had a question from from Kurt. Kurt, good to see you. But it was about um, God's election versus our free will, which we talked a lot about yesterday. Right. So I would say check out yesterday's check out yesterday's broadcast. Broadcast. Yeah. yeah. We went into that um, quite a lot. We had a question from Joe. Is there something that we could just clarify quickly about that? Or, um, yeah, he said, how does how does uh, whoever um, you know who whosoever would believe in the Lord. Uh, compete with God's election. Um, I have questions from a couple of individuals, and I'm not sure how to really give a solid answer. Well, Kurt, uh, as, and again, we just encourage you to go on and take a look at the conversation we had about that uh, yesterday. Uh, we went into quite a bit of details of, uh, about that. But the, the bottom line is this. Um, you know, does God know everything that's going to happen? The Bible assumes, assures us, yes, that's the case. Is God in control? Well, Psalm 103 says, You've established your throne in the heavens, O Lord. Your sovereignty rules over all. There's nothing that happens apart from God's will. Uh, does God then uh, look at us and say, Well, you're wind-up toys, and you're just going through the program that I've set up uh, for you? No, I, I really uh, think uh, I'd give a tip of the hat to our good friend Robert Furrow from Calvary uh, Tucson who said, my God is so sovereign, he's so in control of all things, that he actually in his sovereignty allows for free will. Mm. And, and it's real free will, it's not yeah. fake. It's, it's, it's the genuine deal. Mm. You know, so, so uh, Kurt, if uh, you people have problems with this, one of the comments that we made yesterday was uh, my uh, senior year theology prof, I asked him that question, how do you reconcile uh, free will and predestination? And uh, he smiled and he says, if the tension ever goes out of that issue for you, it means the spring is broken. And so we, uh, as Bible-believing Christians, affirm what the Scriptures say without denying what the Scripture doesn't deny. We affirm that God is sovereign, that he is in control of all things. We don't diminish that at all. God wasn't shocked or surprised when you gave your life to Christ. He knew. Uh, but we also affirm that we have a free will to say yes or no. See, I've said before you, life and death, blessing and the curse. Choose life that you may live, that you may love the Lord your God. And that's the key issue there. Without free will, uh, love is impossible. It's not real love. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a, a little girl, you know, remember those chatty Cathy dolls? Remember you pull the string, would say, I love you. You know, and when you're a child, that's amusing. <laughs> but when you grow up, well, I've been on the internet too much. Maybe I, I'm overstating this. When you grow up, just having a doll that says, I love you, isn't going to be a very satisfying relationship mm-hmm. for you. Why? Because you know, it's just a reaction to pulling a string or pushing a button. It's not real love. Mm-hmm. Real love that isn't freely given isn't real love. So God has given us that capacity. It's part of what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God, to say yes or no to a saving relationship with him. So uh, Kurt, uh, my advice to you is just share what the scripture says positively about the fact that God's sovereign, positively about the fact that man has free will, without turning around and saying, well, therefore I need to deny something the Bible doesn't deny. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very good. Uh, John had a question about Proverbs 4.23, which I have here. Proverbs 4.23 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And he says that uh, it's always escaped him. It sounds like it could be a simple point of wisdom, but I've never understood it. The first part is like, stay close to God, but part two, for out of it springs the issues of life. Can you explain this, please? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, when you take a look at that particular passage, uh, you know, we first need to understand uh, what the heart is Mm. as far as how the Hebrews understood it. Uh, The word lev in Hebrew carries the idea of the centerpiece of a human being. It is where the will and the emotions and uh, the, the, uh, all of the things that we would call the non-material part of a human being reside. And, and so, you know, in Greek, uh, you know, the, the term mind and heart and so on uh, carry different kind of uh, nuances. But in the Old Testament sense, it, it literally means just the center of your being, the thing that makes you you when it's all said and done. And, and again, it says... Uh, going back to verse 20 of Proverbs chapter 4, my son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not depart from your eyes, keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Now notice the, the teaching tool that Solomon is using here. He's saying that God's word needs to impact all of your life. Mm-hmm. And he uses the major aspects of our lives, the way we interact with this world to talk about this, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Um, You don't Mm. really appreciate how precious a gift hearing is until you lose it, you know, or until it starts to go. But that's one of the ways that we connect with the world. Mm. You know, again, we need to lose, use our ears to listen to God saying. Now notice this, don't let them depart from before your eyes. Okay, so we've got the ears and we've got the eyes being mentioned here. The eyes are how we perceive the world, how we're able to take things in. You talk to someone who's uh, blind, sightless, they will say, you know, wow, you know, it's, it's really, in a sense, a disadvantage not to be able to see things. And oftentimes we take that for granted mm-hmm. until something goes wrong with our eyes and you've got to sit in a dark room or something like that. You scratch your cornea or something like that. You realize how important perception is. Well, perceiving is really important. What we are perceiving is really important. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, uh, emphasized here. Keep them in the midst of your heart. In other words, we've talked about the ears, we've talked about the eyes, but now we're talking about what we take in with our ears, what we take in with our eyes affects our heart. Mm. 
and the reiteration of this, and one of the things you, you find in, in wisdom literature, the way the Hebrews taught, was they will tell you the same thing about four or five different times, four or five different ways, mm -hmm. so it sticks. And so we've seen that we need to use our ears to listen to God's word, we need to have our eyes focused on God's truth and allow them to have a place in our heart. Why? They are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. And so reiterating this point, summary it all together, keep your heart with all diligence. How do you keep your heart with all diligence? Well, watch what's coming into your life mm. to that eye gate and that ear gate. Uh, because, uh, you know, this uh, little uh, CPU we have over our shoulders here is constantly being programmed. And uh, maybe you've heard the old uh, programming analogy, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. Uh, you know, you allow uh, all kinds of things that are corrosive and uh, God-denying or flesh-stimulating uh, into your heart and your life, and you can't figure out exactly, you know, how you got into this mess you're in. Well, mm -hmm. take a look at what you're letting into your heart with your eyes and what you're allowing into your heart through your ears. What are you listening to? What are you uh, paying attention to? And notice it says, keep your heart with all diligence. Watch the eye gate, watch the ear gate in the mm -hmm. context here. For out of it springs the issues of life. Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, the idea of the issues of life, the word there in the Hebrew language carries the idea of like a river coming out of your life. And, and that's the funny thing, wherever we are, uh, we're affecting people. We just had Father's Day at uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship, and one of the points that we really wanted to make is, is this as far as being a leader in the home. People say, oh, I can never be a spiritual leader. No, you are a spiritual leader. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like uh, Charles Barkley, the famous uh, basketball player, once said, oh, I'm not a role model. People need to look at their parents and stuff. I'm not a role model. Mm -hmm. Well, no matter how much Charles Barkley wants to protest how terrible, as he would say, it is uh, for people to consider him to be a role model, he is one, hmm. whether he likes it or not. Whether we like it or not, whether we're parents in the home, our children looking up to us, whether we are uh, people who are on a job, people watching how we go about our job, do we cut corners, complain about the boss, hmm. do we, uh, you know, are we a credit to the organization, are we sort of a, a drag on the system? Yeah. Uh, we're setting an example yeah. uh, with, with the way we live our life. These are the issues of life. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's so interesting how Jesus in John chapter 7 and verse 37 uh, said, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For the one who believes in me out of his innermost being, again, the heart, as the mm. Hebrews would understand, the lev, if you will, will flow rivers of living water. Mm. In other words, we come to him, we have a relationship with him, you know, we're not going to be having polluted water come out of our lives. We're going to have living water come out of our lives. Mm -hmm. uh, true story. When we started uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship, uh, we were on the northwest side of Tucson. We're about a half mile from where the main sewer plant for Tucson <laughs> used to be. Used to be. And we're so grateful that the city of Tucson upgraded <laughs> and moved the whole thing up five miles up the road. Oh, yes. Because uh, when the wind would blow the wrong way, uh, man, uh, you know, the smell would, like, take your your eyebrows off. And, you know, there'd be, like, these biblical plagues of mosquitoes that would come in. And I, you know, the, 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 reason, the, the only reason we are still a church today, it's an absolute miracle. I'm, right. always, I'm always shocked and surprised anybody ever came back. But uh, things are much better now. Don't worry about that. But uh, one of the things that you discover is this. Um, you know, the desert needs water. Hmm. And they had a lot of water over there at that sewer plant. And they would dump it into the uh, river, the old Rito Riverbed that mm -hmm. runs uh, just the west of where our campus is. 
And uh, boy, you go upstream from all of that and you look at it and it looks for all the world like uh, one of those streams you see in Colorado. You know, it's got all this water and there's all these plants that are growing up and you go, <laughs> oh man, this is great until you get about 10, 15 feet away from it and you realize what kind of water yeah. is flowing out of that sewer plant. Yeah. So we've all got water, in a sense, flowing out of our lives. Mm. You know, is it going to be the dead water of selfishness? Is it going to be the dead water of secularism? Is it going to be the dead water of, uh, you know, religiosity? Or is it going to be the living water that comes from really connecting in a relationship with Jesus? And so that's, that's really what that point of emphasis is there. You watch the eye gate. You watch the ear gate. You allow those things into your heart. You keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flows, <laughs> if you will, uh, the issues of life. And uh, so I, I hope that uh, clarifies things. Anything yeah. you want to add to that? No, but I have a, a question which is, I guess, somewhat related or on the theme. Steve asks, uh, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? And please define. And I have um, Galatians 5.16 here that I can read. Yeah. I think of this, you know, this, this passage when thinking of walking in the Spirit. It says, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as also told you in the time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? I mean, it's a huge... <laughs> question really well you know the, I'm glad you read that scripture because that really defines it in a way but the idea of walking um, in one of my uh, Greek classes you know they gave us a, a term from scripture we were supposed to do a word study I learned mm. how to do word studies mm. and one of the first word studies I ever did believe it or not uh, was on this term walk as it mm. was used in the book of Galatians it's the word peripateo uh, it doesn't just mean to walk it, to use the Aussie term, it means to do a walkabout. Ah. Uh, that's literally what it means. Pateo is to walk. Peri means all around. Hmm. Uh, and, and so when we talk about walking in the spirit, uh, what it means is the, the way you conduct the totality of your life, what is characteristic about you, is led and anointed by the spirit as it breaks down the, the dominance of the spirit, what happens when the flesh is in charge of our lives, and so on. And, uh, and the, the reason that's so significant and so vivid is, is this. You know, uh, we, we talk about how you identify people. Um, you know, with you know, your, your phone technology, it'll do a facial recognition mm. sort of a deal, or fingerprints that people leave behind. But do you know one of the uh, easiest ways to identify someone from a distance is the way they walk? Mm. Because we all have a unique way of walking, that's a unique true. kind of gait if you will. Yeah. You know, maybe you've noticed some people you walk with uh, are very slow as they walk. Mm -hmm. You know, and they kind of take shuffly steps. If you're like me and you got long legs, you take long steps and people, hey, slow down. Uh, you know, what are you doing? 
But the way you walk is is really characteristic and uh, and identifying. It's interesting when uh, my brother Rick comes to visit us uh, here. Uh, people are always kind of amused because uh, you know facially, I think we look kind of different. He sort of favors my mom's side of the family. I sort of favor my dad's. But they all laugh because they go, boy, I can tell you guys are brothers because your posture is almost identical. And when I see you guys walking together, you have this same sort of way of walking, Mm -hmm. you know. And and so when we talk about a way of walking, Mm -hmm. that's what walking in the spirit is all about. It's Mm -hmm. not achieving some ethereal, ooky-spooky, oh, you know, I got my eyes uh, kind of glazed over and I'm talking in a vibrato. No, no, it it just means that that ministry of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit is characteristic of our lives Mm. uh, on a day-by-day basis. You know, the Bible talks about three very important relationships we have with the Holy Spirit. In, In John chapter 14, Jesus told his disciples, the Holy Spirit is with you and will be in you. Well, those are the first two relationships we have with the Holy Spirit. He's with us before we're saved to draw us to salvation. But the Holy Spirit is also with us in the sense that the presence of God goes with us. We are never alone. I will never leave you and never forsake you. Part of walking in the Spirit is acknowledging that even though we don't see God, Jesus said, it's a good thing for you if I go away, for if I don't go away, I won't be able to send the Spirit. But if I do, he's going to come to you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So the presence of God within our lives, although invisible, is tangible in a sense spiritually within us because the the Spirit is with us. Mm -hmm. The Spirit is also in us. Uh, When we become believers in Christ, we invite God to dwell in our hearts. The centermost part of our being seems to be the theme of the program here today. Uh, and uh, invite uh, the, the Holy Spirit into our hearts to, to have that, that place within us. And Romans chapter 8 says that that's where that relationship with God really becomes beautiful. You know, because we haven't received the spirit of adoption leading to fear, but we've received the spirit, or I should say the spirit of slavery leading to fear. We receive the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. And so that indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit confirms the fact that not only God is with us, but he's in us. We're part of his forever family. Then in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we are told about the third relationship we have with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon us. That is to give us the power to live the Christian life, to function in spiritual gifts, if you will, uh, to have wisdom and knowledge, to be able uh, to, uh, say, share the Lord effectively, to, to uh, live out the love of Jesus. In, uh, in all kinds of situations, in ways that uh, just absolutely befuddle us. Mm. So that's what walking in the Spirit is all about. It is enjoying those blessings and benefits that the Holy Spirit freely gives us, that he's with us, never leave us, never forsake us. We can have security there. He is in us. We have that nearness and intimacy and experience of his love. And finally, he is upon us to give us the power to live the Christian life and to be a witness in this world. Mm. So, you know, you... you uh, focus on those things, that's going to change the way you walk. Yeah. You're going to walk as he walked. Yep. So, yeah. That, and, that, and that's the whole point. You'd be like Jesus. Yeah. And you it's, know? I mean, it's in a strange way comforting to me as, as we read um, that the flesh, we're, we're flesh and we're spirit, and these two rage against each other or contrary to each other, as it says here. And like you talked about watching what comes in through our ears, through our eyes, those things that influence us. And I know in my own life, 
if I if I give into the flesh in one area, even with a struggle in my life has been food, my relationship with food. If I let myself the flesh win in that area, it starts to take over in other yeah. areas. The more you feed, yeah, we the, can't compartmentalize. That's it. right. You feed the flesh. The flesh is is going to be strong. You know, a strong influence um, because it rages against the spirit. However, if you feed into spiritual things, your relationship with the Lord, etc., then I find that I'm strong in in all areas yeah, yeah. of my life but it's kind of comforting to know we read it right there we're flesh and we're spirit and those things rage against each other so for people who find themselves doing things that like man I can't believe I did that well the Bible tells us yeah, and, <laughs> there's, a, there's a war going on in us yeah, yeah. and, and uh, you know one of the really unique uh, things that the Lord uh, taught me uh, kind of early on in my walk with God was I kind of got into this mode where I looked forward to Bible studies. I look forward to going to church because it was like, oh, my battery's kind of running out. I really need, mm. you know, to, to get to church. And, sure. and, 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 you know, yeah, we all do need, you know, to fellowship with one another and encourage one another. Don't get me wrong about that. But where it kind of turns around becomes, in a sense, almost a spiritual trap, at least for me, it was like, oh, man, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of try to hang on until I can get to this Bible study or I can get to this church service and then the Lord's going to anoint me all over again and I'll have my battery charged and can go back out there mm. in the world. You know, I, I realized once that I almost had it backwards that the more I learned to avail myself of the free gift of the power and anointing of the, the Spirit to recognize the ministry of the Spirit in my life and to appropriate and enjoy that in my day-to-day life. Mm. The thing that really blew me away was it made me so much more useful and so much more blessed when I would go to church or mm. when I'd be at a Bible yeah. study. Instead right. of looking at that as, oh, I got this has got to jumpstart me. Yeah. I hope they play the right songs you know, that I really like because I really need that. En- yeah, and we do need that encouragement, don't get me wrong. But you know, I hope the pastor talks about something that just directly relates to me because you know, the, the fact of the matter, though, is uh, how we are in church and fellowship is probably a reflection of where we've been the other six days of the week. Very true. So Very uh, true. really important for us to keep that in mind. Well, I guess we're coming to the end of it. Look at that. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Well, Dave, thanks again for uh, pinch hitting here. We really appreciate you being with us. You all have a great rest of your day in the Lord. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.